0: The density of the fog clouded not only our vision, but our minds. A wall of it bellowed out of the thick, lush jungle, rolling across the calm waters of the Amazon, and swallowing our small steam engine in a blanket of grey blindness. I stood towards the bow, my hands in my pockets, tapping my fingers against one of my many pencils as I stared out into the grey The fog carried a coldness to it, something that I found strange during the dry season of such a harsh climate. I did not belong in such a place, neither did the majority of my companions. I hailed from New York, traveling to the far reaches of the known world in search of a legend, something that may or may not even exist. It was nothing but a fool's dream, but in a moment of reflection, I realized how foolish I was, if only the legend were a lie. The captain of our vessel, an older German named Von Gluck, stated, I can't see past my hand, traveler. I'll have to slow the engines. I turned, nodding to him. The other two companions stood next to him, trying to squint and see our way out of the fog. I knew one of their names, Parker. He hailed from a small village in one of the old territories, and somehow ended up working for a German steamboat captain. He didn't strike me as intelligent, but the captain seemed to care for him. The other a native that von Gluck picked up a few miles down the river. Didn't speak English, German, French, or any known tongue to me. And I didn't care to know him. We continued our travels, pushing the steam engine through the density of the gray. I dug into my pocket, removing one of my pencils, but with it came a small ivory husk. It was a strange, rod-shaped piece that I discovered in my late uncle's study. Small etchings of waves, skulls, and other oddities ran up all sides of the small ornament. and I studied it for a moment, realizing how strange and precious it was. I quickly placed it back in my pocket. I chased the strange dream. A dream of a man that I barely knew, yet became so fascinated by. I chased his dreams of the lost city. One that he deemed... The Necropolis. My uncle was an educated man. He studied lost cities, ancient civilizations, and even taught at many prestigious universities discussing such matters. I followed in his footsteps even though I barely knew him. he did inspire me to study history, and history holds many secrets. My uncle died one night, rather unexpectedly. I entered into his home with many of my other relatives to divide what belonged to each of us by right. It was then that I discovered the strange ivory ornament. It was then that I discovered what secrets his office held. Books upon books that he had handwritten of ancient wonders and cities that he'd seen in his mind. Maps of jungle treks and other odd expeditions were stuffed away in every nook and cranny of his office. I found drawings of skulls with serpent tongues, bone chandeliers, and other necrotic items. Every piece he owned, every piece he created, connected to one thing, the necropolis. He didn't elaborate further, but I figured it to be a lost city, one that he had been tracking since his early career. My admiration for the man drove me. It kept me focused to complete his work. Years I searched for such a place and as I rode on that steamboat into the thick fog, I never felt closer. There's something out there. I heard Parker mutter as he stared out into the gray, and I turned to face him. His eyes squinted, and he ran his hands through his fading ginger hair. I see nothing, the captain stated. I looked out over the waters, Seeing nothing but the clouds in front of us and the thick brown waters parting at the crest of the ship. The brown waters were still, only disturbed by us. Nothing stirred from shore either. A piercing silence made my heart begin to beat slightly faster. The native stated something. Nobody knew what he said but the captain and I watched as the grizzled face of the old sailors sank as the words left the native's lips. He stepped away from the wheel, demanding that Parker grab a hold of it, and I became even more nervous as he stepped toward the bow of the ship, not more than five feet from me. He leaned against the brass railing, peering down towards the brown waters. He shook his head and looked back to the native, who in turn, pointed to the fog the captain glanced back out his eyes widened and he moved back from the railing almost appearing as if he were panicked i too looked out into the waters seeing what unnerved the old man from the edge of the dense gray a thick black substance seeped into the brown waters consuming it darkening it becoming it it was as if black ink spilled into the pool. It moved unnatural. Long spiraling tentacles stretched out in all directions, wrapping around each other, strangling the brown waters before our very eyes. In a matter of seconds, the once murky brown became nothing but a black abyss. We should turn back, Parker noted. No, I told the young boy. We press forward, we're close. Nothing lies beyond the gray but death itself, von Gluck told me as he took control of the wheel. The native ran his hands through his hair, pacing back and forth near the stern of the ship. He prayed in a language that I did not understand, and he threw his arms up into the air, as if to accept some form of grace but none came. He cried and wailed, eyeing the black abyss that surrounded our vessel. I approached the native, trying to speak to him, knowing very well he did not understand. He pushed me away, screaming and crying. He wanted out. I could tell. He moaned and pleaded to Van Glock, who chose not to listen. The captain's eyes did not break from the never-ending gray ahead of us. It was then, when the native felt that he could no longer be heard, that he approached the stern of the ship and barreled over the side. I quickly reached out for him, trying to grab a hold of his old worn shirt, or possibly to grab his hand. Yet, as soon as the man hit the black swelling waters, he vanished. And not only did he vanish, but not a sound echoed through the jungle, not a splash or a scream or anything for that matter filled my ears as he disappeared into the blackness. I watched, waiting for him to emerge from the thick, dark substance. Yet he never rose. As I turned back to face the captain, I heard the old man speak. What have you done to us, traveler? Nothing, I mentioned. I searched for a lost city. This is not my doing. This is cursed. Unnatural. Parker softly said, stepping away from the captain and moving toward the railing of the ship. He leaned over, reaching out, trying to dip his hands into the black waters. And it was only when the captain shouted to him that he pulled himself back in and sat at the captain's side. The funnel of the ship that sat atop of the cabin began to bellow a thick black smoke. A strange sound began to roar from deep within our small steamboat. The captain looked back to me and said, In all my ears. He then jumped down to the helm of the ship, swinging the door open to the cabin, and he entered. Parker took control of the wheel as I stood by and watched. I kept my hand in my pocket, rubbing the small pencil that I carried with me. And it was then, as I continued to dig into my pocket, that I realized the small ivory ornament no longer sat in my possession. And I began to search all over my person, unable to recover the small item. Only when the door to the cabin opened and the captain re emerged did I snap out of my search. She's in bad shape, but we can fix it. Captain, Parker shouted, pointing out over the horizon. The captain and I moved toward the bow of the hull, and we watched as the fog began to lighten, peeling away as if it were a blanket being ripped away in the dark. The sun had set some time ago, and only the darkness of night and the twinkling of distant stars pierced the gray veil. Then as if the fog parted for us. I could see it. An isle sat amongst the black water in the distance. A rocky shore, filled with boulders of obsidian and iron, greeted us not far from our location. And atop it sat a structure that I'd never seen before in the entirety of my life or since. A tall, wide black pyramid made from obsidian loomed over the rocky shore tall it was and it glowed with the pale light of the half moon and the structure was black as the void of the celestial sphere consuming all light of the distant stars i could not see a single brick laid into the foundation of such a mighty structure it appeared to be made of the shimmering black glass material, all from one piece, and a feat that I knew could not be true. What is that? The captain asked himself, and Parker asked, Should I turn us around, sir? Press onward, I told him. The captain eyed me, and I could see the disgust and anger with me. He said something in German, something I couldn't understand, and he knew it. And I nodded and told him, That's it, I think. I think that's what I'm searching for. And what are you searching for? The captain asked. I stared at him, trying to find the courage to tell him. Not once did I explain that we searched for a legend. A myth of a city that may not even exist. Yet, the tall black pyramid, a style only seen in faraway sands, drew my attention. I could not break my gaze from such a structure. It grew even larger the closer we gained. Should I turn her around, sir? Parker asked again. And I spoke to the captain, my eyes not breaking the immaculate black structure, I paid you very handsomely to take me to my destination. We press onward." "'You will regret this, Traveler,' he said. Many men I have met who wished to press into the unknown never returned." "'Look at that structure, Captain,' I said, still staring at the growing Obsidian Pyramid. We are already in the unknown. Von Gluck stepped away from me, heading back to the cabin. He looked to Parker at the helm and said, Onward. I quickly removed my pencil from my pocket along with a small sketching pad that I carried with me. I began to draw the image of the pyramid just as I saw it. I stared in awe of such a structure. I drew as fast as I possibly could, trying to capture everything as it came to me. And the boat moved slower the closer we got. The fog broke away from the ship altogether. Further we went out into the black waters. The shores no longer seemed to be around us. They were hidden somewhere in the dark night. We pressed forward into the black ocean that surrounded our small steamboat and a smell began to fill the air, something that I hadn't smelt before. It filled my nostrils with a sour, pungent, rancid air, and I coughed widely, tucking my sketching back into my wool jacket. That is death. Never smelt it before, traveler, asked the captain as he took his place back at the helm. And I didn't respond soon the steamboat anchored near the rocky shores of the isle the pyramid loomed over us strong and empowering it felt as if it were a soul itself a powerful one too and it felt as if it watched the three of us move about the steam engine i told the captain that i wanted to explore the isle but he wanted nothing of it he told me to stay put while he fixed whatever was wrong with the engine and I told him that I would be going. He then told me that he would leave me. It was only when I offered to pay him triple did he give me young Parker as a companion in order to keep me safe. Parker didn't like the thought, and he begged me not to go. I told him that he would not regret seeing something that no other man had ever witnessed. It would be eye-opening. It would be the greatest thing he'd ever see. Yet he didn't care. He begged to stay on the boat, and I refused to allow that. I did not want to venture forth alone. Parker and myself waded through the low tide, making our way into the small strand. The sand appeared volcanic by nature a thick black substance that did not really hold the same texture as the sand covering the beach. I grabbed a handful of it and placed it into my pocket. I could see in the distance a jungle, thick and lush like those we had seen before the black waters and the dense fog. Above it, though, the black pyramid loomed, calling to my soul to come forth and see it i stood on the shore for a moment staring up into the black structure as the stars overhead faded and only the half moon glowed parker noted how unnatural that was and yet i did not care i pressed forward becoming swallowed by the shadows of the jungle the trek through the jungle felt longer than it probably was I held it to my excitement, believing that my nerves were what slowed time, but Parker believed it to be something otherworldly. He noted the infinite darkness that surrounded us. He noted that not a living creature resided in such a place. He noted that we were the only form of life in the black. I didn't care to hear his words. We pressed forward. When we came to the Black Pyramid, Many ancient pikes and withered torches sat stalked in the ground near a square shaped entryway. I stared inward while Parker examined the aged sticks, and I reached my hand to the black abyss that swirled and blanketed the long corridor. I felt no air, I heard no noise. All that existed were the shadows of the temple. Parker grabbed two old torches, removed one of his many shirts, and ripped the sleeves from it. He wrapped the cloth around the heads of the ancient torches and lit them with a small cigarette lighter. He handed me one, and held his forward into the entryway. While light from his torch did glow with a radiant orange aura, it did not penetrate the dark that lay before us. It was as if the shadows themselves a all light passed a few meters. Parker didn't bother to look at me when he said, You cannot enter this place. My uncle studied it, I told him. I have to. Is your uncle not dead? Why push a dead man's dream along? He asked. I didn't know the answer at first. Out of the corner of my eye, I watched as his head turned slowly to meet mine. I did not look at him. I became entranced by the swirling darkness before us. I watched as the flames of our torches tried their hardest to push forward into the shadow. But it corrupted their light, swallowing it, destroying it, leaving nothing but the abyss. And I said softly, I admired the man, and we held the same dream. Studying books and reading of ancient civilizations do nothing for the human soul but to discover something. But what's it worth? Peter asked. He nudged his torch forward into the darkness. It cannot be worth what you dare to do. Many great men died for their discoveries, and many men lived on through history. I, well, I planned to make history, my dear Parker. With that, I straightened my jacket, held my torch out in front of me, and entered the swelling black. As the two of us marched down the long, dark corridor, I examined everything we came across, which wasn't much. The walls, black as the exterior, were not made of the same obsidian-type material. They were old stones, as if made from sand, withering away on the lost isle. I ran my hands across them, watching as the dark stones crumbled with the slightest touch of my fingers. The innards of the building decayed rapidly, from what I could tell, but the exterior looked immaculate, strong as if it were more powerful than time itself. The lights of our torches dwindled, becoming small, as if they were suffocating the further we went. The once roaring bright light soon only held the power of a small matchbook. Not that it mattered, for the wall of darkness before us only peeled away once we stepped on its long flowing cloak. It became a game to us, of sorts. I paid no attention to how far we went, but rather how to make the shadows disappear. I watched as Parker ran his hands along the walls of the corridor as we walked. Flakes of dust and sand flew from the stones of the foundation, falling to the dusty floor of the corridor. I became flustered. Don't touch anything. Sorry, Parker said. I'm nervous. There's no need to be. I feel that we are getting closer. In that moment, Parker stopped, and I too halted, wondering what he was on about. Everything fell silent, all but the scratching of Parker's boots on the dusty stone floors with each panicked turn he made. Traveler? He began. Do you hear that? and I listened, taking in everything, but there was nothing to be heard except the soft buzzing of silence, and I shook my head, no, nothing, I hear it, you swear that you cannot, Parker waved his torch back and forth, the shadows and the light swirled across his face as if they danced as old friends, spinning across the pale ballroom, His eyes were wide, nervous and panicking. The flames of the torches were trapped in his pupils as he stared me down. I hear nothing. I pressed. Voices, he whispered. You hear no voices. Only ours. Listen, he shouted, startling me. Listen carefully. And I did, yet. I heard nothing come now parker tis nothing but your nerves i grabbed the young man's forearm and dragged him a few steps before letting go he followed me deeper into the tunnel nervous and the sounds of his whimpers carried back towards the entryway we walked for what felt like miles before we came to the end of the great corridor it ended with another wide entryway and led into a massive grand chamber one of which I hadn't even heard of in any form of history text. Its walls were tall, massive, extending upward, as if they led to the top of the pyramid itself. The same withering stones made the majority of the walls, but long streaks of obsidian wrapped around the room, breaking the stone pattern and creating a strange swirling design that extended from the ceiling. I assumed the obsidian stretched from the ceiling, but I could not see it. The darkness that blocked our vision no longer stood before us, but instead hung above our heads, blackening how high the room extended. I dared not look into it, but Parker did. He could not break his gaze. That is. Until I drew his attention to the mass of shelves that lined the walls of the great chamber. On the shelves sat empty sarcophagi, ritualistic jars, and other strange artifacts that belonged to a long dead civilization. They were unlike anything I'd seen before, and the motifs used were not of birds, jaguars, or other creatures from the surrounding jungles of the Amazon. Only carvings of skulls, bones, and organs were etched into the ornaments. "'This place is evil,' Parker told me. "'Hush,' I warned, waving my torch in his direction. "'There is no such thing.' "'There is, but we linger in the shadows of it.' "'Parker, don't be ridiculous.' Large steps led down into the layered floor of the chamber. We stood on the upper strip that lined the spiraling walls, with many entryways that led to many other black corridors. I moved toward the steps, growing lower into the room. My footsteps echoed upward, making the abyss above us appear to move with a rolling, repetitive sound. I waved my torch around, trying to get a glimpse of what sat on the lower level of the grand chamber. I saw nothing at first. It was a wide open floor, made with the same withering stones and strange streaks of obsidian. Yet, as I took a closer look, I could see etchings into the stone. I collapsed to my knees, studying them. I put my face close to the engravings, seeing what they depicted. I made out an ancient language, one I did not understand. I first thought it to be Latin, but I was incorrect, and I knew that much. My torch illuminated an image of three men in the forms of skeletons. They lingered near a boat, and above them, a strange spire loomed in the distance, wrapped by a serpent-like creature. What is all this? Parker asked. His voice caught my attention as I looked, and I saw that he stood but 20, perhaps 30 feet from me on the other end of the lower portion of the chamber. He waved his torch around, saying, If this is not evil, I don't know what is. Yes, but you hear voices, too. I mocked as I approached him. They do not speak to me in this room. It is as if we were meant to find it or did we not heed their warning of not disturbing it? They gave you warnings, I asked, and he did not answer. Instead, he continued to stare at whatever his torch illuminated in front of him. The necrotic grandeur of the sight stopped my heart. Before him sat a large table, and on it sat a hundred skulls stacked neatly atop one another, forming a pyramid of their own. On the floor, piles upon piles of bones were thrown together, some still wearing their ancient clothing. I recognized many different cultures and many different styles, and how they ended up in such a place as beyond my mind. But I, too, began to wonder how I found myself in such a chamber. Evil, Parker whispered. And yet I did not listen to him. I moved him aside, standing before the table as if it were some precious relic. I eyed the stack of skulls, examining each without touching. It was then that I noticed that one that sat-topped skeletal structure did not seem human. Its crown appeared flat, and its teeth were a black color, rotten or decayed from the inside. Its mouth sat agape and from its maw, an obsidian spiral exited. The piece of obsidian bent as if it were not brittle, wrapping around the skull towards the right socket. It appeared serpent-like, and I'd seen an image of that before, one from my uncle's study, and it had to be significant. The old man would not have noted it if it weren't. And only in a moment of reflection do I remember a strange aura, as if a light whisper came from the skull itself. And I, knowing better but could not help myself, reached out and plucked the obsidian skull from the top of the pyramid. Parker repeated my words Do not touch. I held the skull in my hands, examining it clearly. The lights from our torches danced across the obsidian serpent, breathing life into the object. And I stared into its black jewel, lost amongst its deathly beauty. And then, our torches went out. I looked to Parker quickly, but he no longer stood at my side. I could not see him in the chamber at all, what little I could see of it. And I called to him, Parker? no response Parker you fool how dare you leave me alone but thou is not alone a voice came from the darkness carried by still a wind echoing from the black abyss above me who is there I asked backing away and bumping into the table where the skulls were piled there are many of us here We are the ones who watch your steps, dear traveler. Show yourself, I exclaimed. Above the shadows of the abyss began to move, swirl, and wrap around the room. I collapsed to the floor, my heart heavy and my breath stolen. The darkness peeled away higher into the chamber. A massive chandelier became revealed, and on it, bones of many sorts decorated it. The whispers came again, flowing from the darkness like an unseen water trying to drown me. And I fumbled with the obsidian skull, trying to place it back to the altar. I wanted to apologize. I wanted to tell those who watched that I knew not what I did. But they knew. They always knew. And they knew that I was a liar. The whispers spoke to me in a language I could not understand. It was powerful, dark, and heartbreaking. It boiled the blood in my veins, and I thought in that moment that I would perish. I could see the lights extend from the darkness overhead. Stars, I thought. But they moved with such vibrant motions that it was as if they were living. Eyes they were, many of them all staring at me as their owners swirled around the darkness, lost in its endless tide. The lights came from the pupils, not the iris, and glowed with those of animals. The blank faces of the expressionless dead stared down at me, lost amongst the swelling black sea. I felt their cold hands reach out to me, as if to drag me towards them, wanting me to join them and I wanted to fight and tell them no. Yet even as I stared into the darkness and the eyes of the lost, I felt a calling. I felt that I wanted to be there, among them, lost in the swells of time. That did not last, however. I broke from the trance, reaching the skull back towards the pyramid. But in my great haste, I knocked over the Tower of Skulls. Sending them crashing to the ground. Yet not a sound was made, for the darkness swallowed that as well. It began to rain down onto me, the blackness showering my cold, pale body. And slowly I felt pain in my flesh and in my organs. I felt devoured. And then a thick cloud rolled over my mind, darkening my vision. And the last thing I saw, the obsidian skull and the serpent that hung from its mouth, moving. The stars grew wide, sinking lower to the surface of the earth, as if they broke away from the celestial sphere itself. My eyes adjusted upon opening, and a wave of relief overtook me upon the sight. The small lights of the universe grew bright for just a second, taking control of the void around them. And I soon realized that it was a farce and that my eyes were only adjusting out of the stupor I'd been in. And I sat up, curious as how I found my way outdoors. And then, slowly, I realized that I were moving. A low humming noise filled my ears, followed by the splashing of water. I looked around in the darkness, eyes adjusting, and soon came to the realization that I sat aboard the steamboat, Captain Von Gluck at the helm. I stood, leaning over the stern railing. I could see the pyramid in the distance, but it lingered only in the distance. The thick clouds of fog rolled around the ship, beginning to block my vision. I could not break my gaze from the obsidian shape on the black horizon. It loomed in the distance, as if calling for me to return. I stuck my hand out, as if to reach for it, begging for it to take me back. There was more for me to see, and even though I'd been in peril moments before, that slipped from my mind like an illness eradicated. It was only when the rolling mists over the water blocked my vision for good, swallowing the foreign pyramid from my sight, that I finally break away from the stern and sit onto the floor of the steam engine. I felt a fatigue overtake my body. The black waters around the aisle crashed against the sides of our small vessel, knocking it about and making my growing headache much worse. I put my head into my hands, trying to find some comfort, and I heard the captain's voice echo over my shoulder. You should rest, traveler. How did I get here? I asked, head still buried in my hands. The captain stayed at the helm, ignoring my question. A pipe hung from his mouth, and if it weren't for the deep inhales of his smoke and the soft glow of the embers from the bowl, I'd never see the sheer terror in his face. The lay orange illuminated the captain's eyes, highlighting the only emotion left within the German. Fear. I stood and made my way towards the helm, and I asked again, how did you find me? You did not return. I went looking, I found you, he said bluntly, not breaking his gaze from the dark waters ahead. And Parker?" The captain broke from his long stare, shooting his eyes toward me for a fraction of a second before returning to what lay before us. He slightly shook his head as his lips pursed for a moment, wanting to speak, but all that came from the mouth of the captain was a dollop of pipe smoke. "'Was it in the pyramid?' I asked. "'Is that where you found me?' The captain nodded. Get some rest, traveler. But how am I alive? You sat atop an altar, mind lost and dumb. Your eyes were as black as the night sky. Your words made little sense. I carried you back. That's all, the captain said. I nodded, moving away from the helm and taking my place back towards the stern. Slowly, the black waters lightened, and the black peeled away like venom drawn from a wound. Soon, the strands of darkness vacated, and the murky brown waters returned. My mind felt light, as did my heart, and I felt a sever from my soul in a moment, causing me to spin. I became a tree without its roots, and I stumbled back onto the floor of the steamboat. Rest, said the captain, rest. And so I did. Miles down the river we docked in a small fishing village. The captain parted, begging me to stay with the ship. Yet I could not. I dared not be alone. I watched as he disappeared to fetch his supplies for our return journey, and then broke away from the steam-powered boat. My legs felt wobbly on ground, sea legs, I believe they called it, and I stumbled, trying to find my balance. Once I did, I quickly dispersed amongst the locals, trying to find any that spoke English. I knew that I looked like a madman, a blanket draped over my shoulders, and my eyes were as crazed as my mind. I grabbed a hold of many arms, begging anyone who would listen for answers and I only found one who could understand me, an old woman. The woman, an elder of the small village, eyed me as if I were some broken man. She spoke my language well, and I thanked God for that, for I did not feel alone in such a dark time. And the elder asked, What is it, traveler? Why so gloom? I saw it. I told her. I saw the Black Pyramid. The what? She questioned, grabbing my forearm and lowering me into the chair near a small hut. The Black Pyramid, uh, upriver. You know it. You've seen it, yes? I know nothing of what you speak, she said, standing over me with an unmatched authority. Have you been upriver? I asked. It's there. It's ancient. You know this. I do not know this. I dug into my jacket, removing the sketch that I made upon our approach. I unfolded the parchment quickly, laying it out onto the small wooden table before me. I drew it exactly as I saw it, tall, proud, majestic. Yet upon the sight of it, the old woman shook her head, confused by it. And she said, That does not exist here. It does. I exclaimed, standing from my chair and knocking it backward into the dirt. I saw it. It is the truth. You saw this. She asked again, tapping her finger against my sketch. And I leaned into her. I did, and I ventured forth. I saw the bones of a thousand men, the skulls of many ancient civilizations. Don't you understand? This thing... It's here, it's upriver. Do you not get it? The old woman stared at me, puzzled, her lips moving with a quiver, as if hesitant to give me that knowledge she possessed. The river goes on and on. It does not end so soon, upriver. There is no island like you've drawn. There is no pyramid. And I left soon after, defeated. I waited aboard the steam engine, waited for the captain to return. I couldn't wait to get home. I realized that I'd been foolish, that I had made a mistake. Parker vanished somewhere on the isle, and if he were not dead, then I truly felt sorrow for him. He left me, I knew that, but never would I want to be abandoned in such a place. Images of the pyramid danced across my mind. Skulls filled my heart with dread, the swelling darkness blackened my vision, and I could not unsee what I witnessed. I'd never heard of such a place, never imagined it could even exist. My uncle rightly so named it, the Necropolis. I heard a whisper, carried by the chatter of the fishing village. It is not what you think. And I stood... Wondering where the voice came from I eyed those I could see near the dock They all minded their own business None cared who I was or what I was doing They lived their lives as anyone would Going through their early morning routine before sunup I stepped away from the edge of the ship Moving back towards my personal supplies I needed a drink And a good one too I quickly dug into my pack removing my flask and taking a hearty sip of bourbon to wash away the dread. And it was then that I heard the whisper again. Thou lives in its shadow, but has not witnessed the necropolis. And I tightened the lid on my flask after another drink. I rubbed the leather casing and began to put it back into my bag. And that is when I saw it. The obsidian skull. I dared not touch it, but it was there, tucked away in my pack. I did not remember taking it with me, but I did not remember anything after my vision blackened. I stood, backing away from it. The skull called to me, begging me to take it, yet I could not. No, I dared not. Yet a rush of greed overtook me again, and I knew just what to do with such an object. I turned my back to it, ignoring it for the time being. It was then that I saw the captain returning. He carried his supplies and a sack over his shoulder. He looked upwards towards the clouds as the sun began to break over the jungle horizon. Dark streaks of purple tried to drown out the blackness followed by an infernal orange. But soon, nothing of the night remained, and early morning lighting washed over us, cleaning our souls from what horrors we witnessed. I knew better, though. I knew that the night would return, as it always did. Upon my return home, I kept the obsidian skull tucked away in a safety deposit box. I dared not keep it in my small apartment. The need to touch it became too great. The need to see what delightful visions it offered became too tempting, and it beckoned me the whole trip home without having to say a word. The captain did not care to hear my tales of inside the pyramid, and he did not even say goodbye when he left me at the last port on the river. He just stared at me, smoking his pipe. His eyes lost the thoughts I could only imagine, and that was the last I saw of him. I tried my damnedest to get an interview with every curator in the city of New York for weeks. Only one returned with a reply. His letter was so elegant, so beautifully written that I felt that the man who penned it would certainly listen to my tale. He had to understand, for there were still poets left in the world— And I had such an epic to explain. Before our meeting, I took the skull from my safety deposit box. I wrapped it with three layers of cloth as to avoid touching it, even by mistake. And at home, my mind healed, and I felt sanity return. But upon taking the skull yet again, I felt a haunt of dread weigh my heart and mind. I placed the skull in a satchel locking it with a small padlock. I did not want it to speak to me, and I wanted to give myself as much trouble if I were so tempted to touch it. I took a carriage to the museum which laid not far from the city limits. I loved the landscapes around the area, and as a child I would venture forth into the wilderness with many of my friends. We'd grow so fond of the forest and the life that came with it, but as I looked at the forests in the distance, all I could see was the decay. The forest, once lush and vibrant, now appeared dead, withered, soon to be gone, and I paid no more attention to it. The museum itself wasn't the greatest that I'd seen. In fact, it was more forgettable than any museum I'd ever stepped foot in. There were plenty of exhibits, most were pictures of artifacts or ancient cities, and I found this peculiar. Then, I found it enraging. This was not a real museum. This was not a place worthy of such an artifact. I'd found a lost city, and the only curator that wanted to speak to me belonged to a strange museum. I had to settle down because it was the only opportunity that I had to get rid of the heavy weight of the skull. The curator's appearance was forgettable. He stood no more than five foot five, a thin pencil mustache hung above his lips, his hair glistened under the dim lights overhead, greased and slicked back, in a deep brown in color. His clothes were cheap, but were designed to look more expensive. I walked at his side as we moved throughout the small museum, eyeing each of the exhibits, as if I needed to be impressed. I told my story to the curator, Mr. Shield, and he listened. His gaunt face sat expressionless as I described my adventure in great detail. I explained the piles of skulls, the obsidian walls, and the exterior of the pyramid. I explained some of the carvings I found in the floors. All of this, S.H.I.E.L.D. heard, but seemed completely unimpressed. I must have sounded desperate when I removed the sketch that I made at the bow of the ship, waving it in his face and telling him that it existed. "'You are a great artist,' S.H.I.E.L.D. said, "'But you are no historian.' "'I speak the truth, friend,' I informed.' This place exists, and I have seen it. But what of the small ornament that you took with you? Your uncles, you said. What happened to that? Well, I'm afraid I lost it. No historian loses a piece of such value, if it were real. I think you have a nice story. Best send it off for publication in a fiction serial, Shield said tucking his arms behind his back. He led me around a fake chariot designed to look Roman. It sat in front of a painted backdrop of a mountain range, and I could see elephants on the horizon. It is truth, I said, slapping the sketch to his chest. He stopped. His eyes danced over mine, studying me. Sheld spoke quickly. I'm sorry, but I hate to tell you, The Amazon does not just stop as you described. It does not just open into some black ocean. There is no possibility that the humans could build a pyramid out of… what did you describe? Obsidian? That is ludicrous. Not to mention, the cultures within that region of the world have never made Egyptian-like pyramids. Their religious temples are radically different. I'm aware. That is the point I am trying to tell you. Something strange happened. Something led me to that place. The place you deem the necropolis. That is what I search for, yes. I have reason to believe it is something entirely different. Spirits of the dead tell you otherwise. Shield mocking me. I stopped walking with the man and quickly undid my satchel. I removed the skull, still encased in its many layers of cloth, and I held it toward Shield. He stared at it, confused, thinking that I properly offered him my laundry. What is it? he asked, raising a brow. I nodded, urging him to take it. Do not touch it, and I warn you. It is what I've spoken of. The obsidian skull? And I gave a quick nod. He grabbed the pile of my cloth by both hands. His arms struggled for a moment as if he did not expect the weight. He lifted the layers with his right hand, keeping the skull resting atop the cloth in his left. And upon seeing it, his eyes grew wide, as if some sort of truth found its way into his thick skull. He rubbed his mustache with his right index finger muttering something to himself as he stared at it obsidian you say he asked me not breaking his gaze from the skull and i replied strange is it not oh indeed well do you believe me the curator could not break his gaze from such an item he continued to mutter under his breath as if he'd been placed in some sort of trance by the skull I, too, suffered from that, but being parted from the thing, I wanted nothing to do with it any longer. It had to go. It belonged in a museum, albeit a better one than Shields. I will need to keep this skull for a few days, the curator said. I approached, lifting the cloth and placing it back over the skull. Shields' face became snarled As if I had interrupted some deep conversation that he'd been having. His fuming eyes looked me over, but quickly rested and his face straightened. He said, Would that be all right with you? Well, where would you keep it? I asked, and the curator's eyes appeared confused. And I clarified, Do not be left alone with it. He chuckled, deepening his voice to sound otherworldly. Is there some mysticism left in the world? If what I tell you about the skull is true, then yes. You don't believe it. But being left alone with that skull will make you understand. Trust me, friend. You do not want to believe. I've seen the Black Pyramid. I've climbed its steps. I disturbed its artifacts, and I left more lost than ever before. I tell you, I found something. Heed my warning. He scoffed. (laughs) I'll keep it here in the museum. We have a nice safe in the back. I just want to make sure this is real is all. I'll be having Dr. Gibson come by this week. Check to make sure everything is here. Legitimate even though your story may not be. I agreed, annoyed with the man, but he was the only one that would speak to me on the matter. He mocked me, fine. He didn't believe me, that hurt my pride. Still, he would see that I told the truth and that would be sweeter than any prize. Someone other than a lost man and a foreign boat captain would know the truth even with the skull in shell's possession. I felt as if it lingered somewhere in my small apartment. I couldn't hear the voices. I gave small praises for that, but I still felt as if that endless whirlpool of shadows lingered above me. I felt as if the glowing pupils of the dead watched, staring at me, questioning me, yet their voices fell on deaf ears. I laid awake, Staring upward into the darkness of my apartment, knowing I was alone, but feeling something just beyond the veil of my reality. Each time I closed my eyes, trying to get some sleep, I could see it. The pyramid. It was so clear in my mind, a vivid painting made from the finest strokes of realism. I felt the cold winds of night, the black stars in the water. Often, I would sit up in a cold sweat, trying to erase such a thing. All I wanted was to be rid of it, those terrible memories. And I felt so comfortable before I entered that grand chamber. I stared at the temple with such amazement, with such wonder. And after lying in my bed and wishing for only peace did I feel the weight of my error. Only then did I feel the dread of such a place. I felt an urge, a strange one, as if I were being shown something that I needed to share. I crawled from my bunk, dressed myself, and quickly lit a small candle. I set it on my desk near the materials that I collected from my late uncle. I began to work. I drew everything once again felt my hand possessed, as if it were not something of mine, but rather guided by the whispers that I could not hear. It moved wildly, covering much of the page with what appeared like random lines and scribbles. I did this many times. I continued to draw, throwing a completed page to the floor, then beginning the next. They appeared like nothing to me, and they would have to anyone who witnessed it. My mind felt fogged by that same grayness that blinded us on the steamboat. Yet I continued, drawing all the images that passed through my mind. It wasn't until hours passed that I realized the severity of my illness. I stood from my desk, looking to the images that I'd drawn. I'd thrown most of them to the floor during my spout. Somehow, though, well... Somehow, they were arranged in a fashion that I could not imagine, as if the unseen dead in their whispers laid them out for me. Covering the entirety of the floor of my office, each piece lined next to one another like some sort of dark, yet simple puzzle. I ran my hand through my hair, nervous of what I stared into. It was the approach to the temple, Black water, black skies, and the black pyramid in all its glory. Above it, a swirling, twisted abyss in the sky. Images of a uniformly gaunt rabble of spirits danced and swarmed in the abyss. Their eyes, yellow and haunting, were the only things of color in the image. Funny, I did not own a yellow-colored pencil to add such a detail and at the base of the isle near the sharp, stony shores, I could see my boat and two figures. There were two ghastly figures hovering above them, ascending upwards towards the spiraling abyss. And I muttered, Parker, the native. I ran my fingers across the image, tracing some of my crazed lines made in my witless stupor. I, at first thought that was all there was to the image. It wasn't until my fingers traced the black horizon line that I see it. In the distance, somehow, I drew something that I'd not seen before. One great spire, surrounded by smaller ones, drawn small, almost unnoticeable, extended a few centimeters from the horizon. I knelt onto my drawings, crinkling some of the parchment with my weight. I put my face close, trying to get a good view of what small image I'd drawn. The detail was immaculate, I could see that much. It was as if, it was inhuman. The details of such small objects were so clear upon closer inspection. The spires, something I'd not seen, were lined as if they were part of some great city. And I could see, just beneath them, small images of what appeared to be roofs of some kind. It was a city. A city just beyond the horizon, with spires made of skulls and bones, ivory and obsidian. And then, just as the image came so clear, and just as I felt that maybe I had seen something like that on the horizon, it faded from my sketch. It blurred, as if the lead of the pencil were smudged by a finger, and I screamed out, No! Yet it was too late. Suddenly, as if it were erased by an unseen force, the image of the spires disappeared before my very eyes. The lines that once defined them blurred, disappearing into the dark horizon that I drawn, becoming nothing more than a mere mirage in the distance. I stood, backing away from the image towards my office door. I wanted away. I felt insane. I reached for the candle, ready to return to bed, hoping that I purge whatever necrotic poison filled my mind. Just as I grabbed the only light in the room, the image of the pyramid faded away from the parchment. Everything that I'd drawn, so detailed, so hauntingly beautiful, became nothing but a mess of lines and scribbles. I set the candle back down, nervous about what I'd witnessed. And then, in that moment of feeling so alone, so lost, and so haunted, the flame went out. Shields said he'd keep the skull for only a day or two, yet as the week went by I never heard from him. I often poked around his museum, begging any of the other employees for information about the skull or about the curator. I always received the same type of responses, they hadn't seen him or that he hadn't been to work since the day of our interview. And after about a week's time, I was able to persuade a young, aspiring employee to give me Shield's information in exchange for a few dollars. And I felt that the man cheated me, and I wanted to confront him. I hoped he hadn't skipped town with the skull, but I felt deep within my bones that to be unlikely. And I felt something sinister in the air. Shield lived in a rather lavish neighborhood on the outskirts of town. His home, a beautiful white wooden structure, radiated in the sunlight. Beams of golden light reflected off the windows of the second story, down towards the lush gardens that lined his doorway. His red brick walkway led me towards his wine-colored door. I gave a few knocks, trying to draw the attention of the man who resided in such a nice home, yet nobody answered. I knocked again, this time with force and anger, and I shouted something with a hint of frustration about him cheating me. Still no response. I stepped down from his porch, placing my hands in my pocket and realizing that I'd been in fact duped. He ran off with my prize and probably hawked it at another museum. One where he had higher contacts than I. Slowly, though, I heard the lock of his front door peel back and the weight of the handle turn. The dark burgundy door creaked open slowly, only a few centimetres a second, revealing a dark entryway, one that I could not see into. I stared into the darkness, yet I heard nothing, I saw nothing. And yet I felt it call to me, and I, against better judgment, Obliged. Shield's home sat in an endless expanse of shadows. Not a shred of light pierced through the many windows of his home. In fact, upon closer inspection, I could see that he boarded up every window. He wanted to be amongst the darkness. He wanted to be a part of it. I examined many of the downstairs living areas. There was nothing for me to see. Everything looked fine and normal as if it were the home of a person who went to bed. There was a smell, however, and I'd smelt it before. I recognized it as soon as it danced around my nostrils, the smell of death and decay. I stumbled over an object in his kitchen, and I'd almost fallen forward on his tile and could have possibly perished. I knelt, realizing... That it was a small red candle I held it in my hand Examining it It split in the middle from my weight And other portions of it Looked dented and aged I quickly lit it to give myself Some light and I tried to find A holder I soon realized that I had many to choose from On his kitchen table Every candle holder In his house laid And they were all empty Thrown into a pile I quickly took a false silver holder Placing my lit candle into it I felt something off Something wrong I knew better than Shield skipping town I didn't find him To have the stomach for it The smell of death Drew me towards the stairs And I stood at the base of them Looking upwards towards the second story And I called out for him S.H.I.E.L.D., are you up there? But no response. I stared into the abyss that spiraled above the stairs. Seemed natural in a sense, just a wall of darkness blocking my vision. I could see only a bit past it, realizing that there was a hallway of sorts just at the top of the stairs. And I began to climb, still calling out to S.H.I.E.L.D., knowing better than to do so. S.H.I.E.L.D., Just tell me what happened, and I called. Still, no response. As I made it to the top of the stairs, I held my candle out past my chest, illuminating the black corridor that laid before me. The candle became dim, as if it were beginning to smother. I withdrew, bringing it back close to my ribs. There, the candle roared to life again only illuminating myself and casting my haunting shadow on the wall behind me. I could see it, ever so faintly at the end of the hallway. An open door. Something stirred in the room, as if it were pacing back and forth. No noise was made, and I called out to the figure. Shill, what the hell is going on? No response. I moved quickly through the darkened hallway, trying to get out of the darkness that swelled around me. I felt it to be a life force of its own. I felt it trying to drown me, swallow, not just my body, but my mind as well. I arrived at the end of the corridor faster than expected, and I stood before the master bedroom doorway. The door sat ajar, and I could see into the room. I could see the pacing of a person. Their body thin and gaunt They moved in the darkness As if they were part of it themselves Swimming in it Dancing in it As if it were home And I asked Shield? I moved into the room The candle still held close to my chest As soon as the light entered The darkness peeled back Revealing that I'd seen nothing figure did not lurk in the darkness as my mind perceived. And I thought it to be a trick and threw the candle out before me, shouting, Shield, where are you? I saw you here. Reveal yourself. The candle sparked wildly, illuminating the master bedroom with such vibrant red and orange colors. The bed sat overturned against the wall, as if to make more room on the floor. The rugs were draped over the windows, blocking any light. The hardwood floors were carved with gibberish that I could not understand. Symbols were painted in the walls in a dark substance that I hoped to be something other than blood or feces. And the smell of rot set in and seeped from this black heart of the house. At my feet, rows and rows of candles of various colors sat. The wax of each spilled out into the floor, mixing and drying in a concoction of colors that resulted in a hideous graying black. They were low, too, as if burning for hours upon hours. In front of them, I could see the overturned bookshelf. The hardbacks were removed, as were their pages, strewn about the floor. Atop the shelves, though, wadded paper figures created a strange pyramid shape. And atop that, the obsidian skull stared back at me. It must have been a trick of the light. It had to be. For I saw those glowing orange pupils sitting in the vacant sockets for no more than half a second. And I stared in horror at the thing. I did not want to touch it. I wanted nothing to do with it. I'd been parted from it for days, almost weeks, and wished that S.H.I.E.L.D. could have been more responsible. I dared not stare at it. I turned my back, horrified of the dark obsidian figure coming from the ivory maw. I felt a strange presence enter the home, as if it floated from the entryway downstairs, carried itself up along the steps to the second floor and scurried down the hallway to the master bedroom. I felt it enter, freezing the air around me. The smell of death became so overpowering, so unbearable, that I began to vomit. The air felt thicker and my head began to spin. And I heard a voice say to me, Take it. I removed my shirt quickly and threw it atop of the skull. I grabbed it, wrapping it as thick as I could and placing it in the right pocket of my wool jacket. I buttoned up, feeling the freezing cold pierce my bare chest. As soon as I possessed the skull, I quickly removed myself from the room. The candle dimmed and I began to rush down the hall. It was then, though that I realized that Shield walls were painted all down the corridor. There were images of things that I'd seen. Images that I'd drawn only nights before. I stood before the murals, holding the candle closely to see what S.H.I.E.L.D. had captured. He painted the isle, a never-ending ocean of black. He painted two men on the shore, and two men floating above them. He painted the Obsidian Pyramid and the black stars and the light of the half-moon. Above the pyramid, the same spiraling abyss that I'd drawn sat painted on Shield's wall. In the distance of it all, I could see an image, something so familiar, something that I'd seen in dreams. The Spire of Ivory Skulls. It sat just above the horizon, just off from the temple itself, where I'd drawn it. I could see the city below and the other towers that were lesser in size. I stared, wondering what it could be. I stared, admiring the lovely detail that S.H.I.E.L.D. had given the image. I stood, holding the candle right above the image of the city on the horizon, slowly it began to fade as it did when i drew it the black paint the shell used began to run bleeding down the wall towards its hardwood floor yet the rest of the image remained the same only that of the spire and its surrounding structures faded from my view the black running paint collected at the floorboards of the wall resting blackening the white wood and casting a hard physical shadow upon it. I backed away, realizing the darkness of the home and feared of what Shild had done. It was then that I looked back up towards the master bedroom. In it, I could see the figure. It no longer paced. It stared at me with those hellfire pupils. Its long, gaunt body did not move. And as our eyes met, the candle went out and I stood alone in the dark again. I panicked and began to run. I scrambled down the steps, scraping my knees and hurting my wrists in the process. I threw open the door, blinded by the bright sunlight outside as I dashed away from Shield's estate. And as I kept running, I heard the voice follow. Take it. And I didn't know why, But I returned to my apartment with the skull still in my pockets. The thought to take it to my safety deposit box never passed through my mind. Instead, I felt a pull in my heart to just take it back home, take it and see what happened. I wasn't sure what Sheld uncovered, but I felt that he'd seen the things that I'd seen. It was not just the story that I told him. He too had witnessed exactly what happened. I felt it in my bones. The skull had to show him something, had to let him bear witness to whatever it was that I saw. It held some significance, it had to. I then began to think that he too saw the spire in his mind. He had to have seen a glimpse, for the detail at which he drew the mighty tower was far greater than mine, and I wondered what it was but I felt it. I felt it in my bones, the flesh-covered ivory, telling me that of which I already knew. The Black Pyramid was not the necropolis, oh no. Whatever loomed in the distance on the horizon, whatever sat on the other end of the black ocean, that was the necropolis. I felt it. I knew it. It had to be true, yet the question of what the place actually was still lingered in my mind. A poison that corrupted my soul. Still, the answers were not far away, for they lingered within the obsidian maul, the skull that I possessed once again. I knew it to be foolish. I knew it to be wrong, but the hunger for knowledge, the hunger for greatness drew me ever closer to return to the black void. And I sat awake for hours. The skull sat atop my waist-high bookcase. Behind it sat my window that looked out upon the city. I, being unable to fall asleep, idled in my banker-style chair. I leaned in it, sipping on a cool glass of water. I'd become extremely hot, breaking out in sweat since the skull entered my home. I could not tear my gaze from it. Its empty sockets twisted my heart, bending my arteries into gnarled branches, and I felt stuck betwixt its gaze and what sat beyond the unseen either. I could hear it calling to me, begging for me to touch it, and I dared not. I wore a pair of thick gloves, unsure if that would stop my desire. But I hoped it would. As night rolled on, darkness crept into my apartment, blackening it. The shadows grew large and exaggerated. The only light that remained was a seven-piece candlestick. All of its holders were filled, and the flames burned healthy. The glowing orange haze that radiated from each of the delicate flames filled the center of the room. Yet, with the growing shadows of the night, I could feel the strength of the darkness. I broke my gaze for just a second, just a look to my water glass, and it cracked in my hand, and the water, what little was left, sat frozen at the base, and I dropped it in panic, fearful of what was happening. And that is when I saw the serpent from the skull's gaping maw, begin to move slightly. It wasn't a large coil or a rapid maneuver, just a small wiggle, almost as if it were a trick of the dim light made by the flames. Although, I knew better. As I stood from my chair, heart racing in my chest, I could see a low fog begin to pour from the sockets of the skull. The gray, That I dared not see again Began to seep onto the floor of my apartment Spreading out quickly It smothered my candles with invisible fingers Pinching all but one flame out of existence The skyline of the city darkened And not a single light from any of the buildings could be seen I felt alone, so alone In such a massive sprawl The window darkened, fading away as if it not longer separated me from the outside world. The blackness, the abyss, the eternal darkness on the other side. I could see a figure approaching. It was tall, gaunt, decaying. Its eyes glowed with the light of a single flame as it walked on the air, carried by the darkness that covered the city. It rested its hand, long and thin, atop the flout crown on the skull. Its mouth moved, but nothing came from it. Instead, the vocals, hollow and rasp, carried out the gaping maw of the obsidian skull. And the figure said quickly, You did not heed your own words. I stammered, falling back into my chair. What? You warned me not to touch anything, yet you did. And I felt my heart stop. Parker? The figure, unrecognizable in the black abyss, stared at me with those empty eyes. He did not speak. Light from the candle bounced over the figure's bald, plain head. And nothing what I remembered of Parker remained. He was different. Harker, is that you? Why did you take it? If it was you, I would have you tell me, I shouted, standing from my chair. In that moment, I no longer felt afraid. That, however, quickly changed when several other figures appeared from the darkness. They stood in the corners of my apartment, lingered outside the open window, hovered and swirled in the endless black peter spoke again this is what have become of me i felt pain such pain pain beyond the world of man pain because of you traveler i wanted to apologize to parker i did yet as i stared into the blank face that empty uniformed hairless face of the dead i could not recognize him I could not understand. And I just asked, What happened to you? Beyond. What does that mean, Parker? What happened to you? Did you take shield? Is that what happened? Did you die in that temple? And you're cursed, that poor old man. Is that it? And I started to become angry from the lack of answers. I heard a noise come from behind me. It was a bump in the darkness. I turned quickly, seeing a silhouette of another uniformed dead passing me by. It moved toward the open window, sliding out, walking on the darkness that blanketed the skyline. The dead placed its hand on the skull, moving Parker out of the way, blending him among the others that I could not tell apart. The new speaker said, in a mangled, desolate voice, I saw what you spoke of, Traveler. I saw the story that you told. It is real. The Black Pyramid is real. But it is not here. The key unlocked, but it is not here. Shield, I shouted, angered still. Tell me what you mean. I see it now, Traveler. I see it in my eyes, burn beyond my lids for eternity. I've been there, I've lived there, I've died there, it's out there, and just beyond. Just beyond, I question, lies the necropolis. As the uniformed shield spoke, the endless ocean of shadows just beyond my window peeled away, revealing the black pyramid in the place of the once mighty city. My apartment view sat at the peak of the obsidian temple. The stars were empty, black holes in the ether. The half-moon lit the far side of the pyramid, and in the distance, out beyond the black ocean, I could see it. I could see it with my own eyes. The thing that I searched for since the start of my long journey. I could see the tall spires of ivory. I could see the great towers and buildings. They were far off, distant, out of reach, yet their presence was enough to stop my heart. Slowly, the Black Pyramid began to sink within the dark waters, swallowed by the endless ocean that once protected it. As it did, the tall spire, the largest of them, began to loom in the distance. It became clear that the spire's foundation was that of a million skulls, stacked atop one another. The mortar that bound them together was thick and black. The spire towered over my open window, and the sound of nothing came with it. The pulsing silence was deafening. All I could hear was the rapid beating of my heart. The dead that watched did not flinch. They did not move. They just watched as I stared into the face of my broken dream. A dream that was not worth the torment, for I uncovered something lost, sure, but dreadful and awesomely terrifying. The dead peeled away from my window, swimming and dancing with the swirling darkness around the tower. They soon became blank faces with empty eyes staring back at me as they climbed the tall tower before me. Silence broke, and when I thought it was for the better... I could hear the screams of a million people carried through my ear canals. They were lost, stuck in a spiraling abyss that led to such a haunting sight. One of the dead called out over the screams. Do you see it now? Do you see our dream, our vision? Do you see what you searched for? Such fame, such fortune. Do you see it? I collapsed to my knees as my apartment appeared to climb the never-ending spire. Atop it, a large pointed tower sat. In it, nothing but a lone candle flame flickered as a greeting. And I stood out beyond the spire, seeing a forest and a bare grassland all laid in shadow. Above it all, something lurked within the darkness of the sky. Large wisps belonging to some greater entity, curled and devoured the black stars that sat within the celestial sphere. I could see it. Not clearly, but something lurked above, something lurked beyond. Such things you desired to see. Another dead spoke. Do you see them? You carry our gift to you. Now you cannot be rid of us. You cannot be read of our visions. You've seen what we've always known. I tried to say something. I struggled. What is it? What is all of it? Necropolis. But what is it? What does it mean? I shouted. In due time, for there are secrets that we hold that the living cannot possess. I cowered, lowering myself to the floor of my apartment, trying to shield my face from such horrified visions. The dead continued. You wished to see. You wished for knowledge. Here it is. For the necropolis is not a sight for any man to bear witness. Do you feel satisfied, traveler? Do you feel rewarded? Is this what death is? I cried out. Is this what is to be expected? Only death can tell. And with that, the candle of my room went out, and the glass of my window returned. The city of New York sat where it always had, never truly leaving. The spire was gone. The vision of the dead and the great black pyramid faded. Nothing remained of such monstrosities. Yet, I sat alone on my apartment floor and wept. I could not move, for I sat petrified. The skull sat undisturbed atop my bookshelf. I felt it watching me. I felt its long, empty gaze tearing into my heart. And then, I heard it whisper. Only death will tell. Many nights I tried to speak to the dead. Many nights they did not respond. I needed answers. I wanted more, even though my heart felt twisted by such evil corruption. I begged them to give me more, show me more, yet they stayed quiet. They dared not speak to me again, and I did not understand. I even held the skull in my bare hands, but the visions never came. I still felt them watching though I still felt their presence they chose not to speak to me something that I found irritating I tried to sketch everything that I'd seen I drew the great spire the monster in the abyss and the black pyramid but the pictures were never close to what I'd seen they were always distorted they never truly captured what I'd witnessed. Not like the sketch I did on the steamboat. It broke me, seeing something so vividly but being unable to show it. I knew that the only way for the images to break free of my mind would be to sketch, but I could not produce it from memory. I would have to see it physically again. With the dead not speaking to me, I had no other option but to return to the Amazon. I would have to find it again. I would have to see whatever that obsidian pyramid was. I would have to stand on top and stare into the distance. I would have to see the necropolis for myself. I didn't have much money. I hawked most of my possessions for what little money I could obtain, and I withdrew every bit I collected in my savings. It kept me afloat in the Amazon for a bit. Not much, though. Most of the boat captains wanted nothing to do with me. Von Gluck told them stories before he disappeared. And I wandered many fishing villages, asking anyone who would listen if they'd seen such a pyramid, and more often than not, I'd be laughed off. I felt foolish for returning, but for each night that I sat awake, sleep deprivation eating away at my sanity... I would stare into the empty sockets of the obsidian skull. I felt a connection to it. I felt it staring back, but it always stayed silent. After about two weeks in the jungle, no money left, and a hunger growing inside me, I began to worry that I made a foolish mistake. I felt better of it. I'd seen it all. I knew it existed. It became so bad that I began to shout at the skull, begging it to show me a sign. And I did this a few times in front of the locals, who thought me crazy. If only they knew. If only they'd seen what I'd seen. They would understand it all. If only. It wasn't until one night that I sat awake, drawing sketches of the uniformed dead in the black pyramid, that I heard the skull speak to me. You cannot find it again, foolish traveler. I sat up, looking to the skull, but seeing nothing beyond it. I held it in my hand, staring into the empty black sockets. The light of my candle danced across its ivory face. And I said quickly, Show me. That is all I ask. Just show me. Thou was broken the last time. And I became angry. You did not give me answers. I need an answer. What is it all? Why do I feel it watching me as if it is here but not? Its shadow is long, traveler. Its shadow consumes those who see it. You do not have what it takes to see it again. Broken you will become. Show me, I demanded and as I shouted, the wailing of the wind grew louder, mimicking the sounds of the screams I heard in my apartment weeks before. Visions of the interior of the Black Pyramid filled my mind, drowning out all other thought. I felt like I was back there, standing amongst the bones in the sarcophagi. I could see the dead lined in a row. Hundreds of them were there, and then in the middle of them all, The obsidian skull sat in the hands of one of them. Burning fires glowed within the sockets, and the obsidian serpent dangled from the maw, dancing about, writhing as if it were suffocating. You live in that shadow, for we all do, traveler. And I could not break my gaze from the dancing black serpent. The black stars... It slithered from the maw, breaking free, and coiled into the floor at the feet of the uniformed dead. The half-moon. The serpent perked up, moving slowly toward my position as I looked into its deep, ruby eyes. The great temple. As the creature approached, I tried to back away, but could not. It was as if it already struck me with some sort of venom, one of which caused a deep paralysis within my bones. The necropolis The serpent stopped at my feet Staring upward at me Slowly it coiled itself Into a small ball-like shape Then, as if it were Nothing but a figment of my Imagination, turned Into a black mush Fading into nothing but a shadow That dissolved at my feet The shadows danced About my heels and rose Growing in size Swirling as if they were a life force themselves. It blackened my vision, hiding the uniform dead behind its abysmal curtain. I could see only one thing in it, a large hulking mass that lived in the darkness, breathed in the darkness, created the darkness. Its shape was strange, indescribable. It watched as its snake-like arms devoured the black stars. Beneath said creature sat a city, a great sprawl of ivory and obsidian. The spiral stood tall, mighty, majestic, and atop it the tower window with the lone candle. The beyond. The candle of the tower went out, and all the images slowly faded from my mind as if it were nothing but a dream provided by opium. A nightmare I witnessed. A nightmare is what I saw. I begged to see it, but I felt the brokenness worn by the uniform dead. How I hated myself. I wanted more, demanded more, but as I received more, I threw it away, terrified by what it all meant. I wasted no time. The temptation was too great for me to try and stop. I left my hotel in the middle of the night a full moon lit the darkened paths of the fishing village as i stumbled the streets in a drunken stupor i went to the banks of the river the darkness of the night shrouded everything in cold shadows but i could see just beyond the other side of the river glowing eyes watching me i held the skull in my hand really wondering if it was all worth it. And I came to the conclusion that I'd been foolish. Always had been. And I raised my arm high into the air and threw the skull over my shoulder. And I tried to throw as far as I could, which made it to about the middle of the river. The skull plopped into the water, floating for half a second before the brown waters turned black. Filling the skull with shadowy surf It began to sink And the images of the dead watching me Became enveloped in the shadows of the night And I stood watching Waiting for anything to happen Nothing did I heard no voices I saw no more visions I expected a weight to be lifted But it never came For I'd seen it all I'd seen the pyramid The necropolis and the beyond. I'd seen things that no man should bear witness. As I turned my back to the river, I felt the skull pulling me back. I regretted throwing it away. I needed it back. I could get more answers, and I tried with all my might to go away. I stared into the twinkling street lamps of the fishing village, trying to find a different focus, but I could not, and soon I found myself wading into the thick waters of the river. The current was strong. I looked below the surface, seeing the glowing eyes of the dead swimming beneath me, reaching out as if they were the current themselves, and I felt the call to join them the sea for myself, and get the full knowledge that I desired. And I dived down to find the skull, swimming among the dead, their bare hands ripping at my clothes and my flesh. I rose, breaking for air. I could not see the skull. It had to be at the bottom, and I dove back down. As I sat beneath the aquatic surface, eyes darkening in the murky waters, I could see the skull. It glowed with such vibrancy resting a few feet down, yet floating among the treacherous current. The water swelled and spun around it, creating a whirlpool of black ether. And I reached for it, losing air. As I reached out for my precious object, I felt a sense of dread overtake me and I recoiled, having a moment of sanity. I broke to the surface of the waters, still being dragged down by the current. I swam to the shore, crying and pitying my weak self. I laid on my back, digging my fists into the sandy bank of the river. I cried. I'll admit it. I cried. I kept my eyes closed for some time, but as I opened them, I could see in the distance, somewhere off in the jungle, a great obsidian pyramid. I could see the stars of the night begin to darken, become black, non-existent. And I stood wondering if I could go and find it again. But the jungle was dark and treacherous. It, too, held its secret, and I could still find the eyes of the uniformed dead watching me. I began my march through the jungle, refusing to break my gaze from the pyramid on the horizon. I regretted not taking the skull, for I feared who would find it. No man should witness the horrors that I saw, for I live in the shadow of the necropolis any man who finds that skull will know the truth and the truth is something so haunting so terrifying that they will not be able to comprehend and I fear for whoever finds the skull for they too live in its shadow for we all do